0: Inform, advocate, and involve seniors in discussing important social issues. In short, these podcasts will help us. You, in creating an age-friendly city for Vancouver today. Tomorrow the world. You can hear us everywhere podcasts are heard. Good afternoon and welcome to Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast program and today we have a special guest we have peter jl he is a poet storyteller and extraordinary human being uh we are also today following up with just in this our third season we did our 75th episode last week and in going through all those episodes, there were about 20 things that people uh, said when we were physically meeting at a building or going around to different associations talking about what they wanted to do. We've covered those topics. And so now we're looking at uh, building skill and confidence in writing and audio recording individuals' work. and also things people do as a group. Uh, Nancy has paired with Neil, who will be... C- uh coming on today i mean coming on later or he he might have another appointment but they worked together on a story he wrote a story and um they evolved something that had poetry as sections within it so as people get to know within this community the workshop i was talking about attending earlier they were talking about within a podcast building communities because we have someone interested in a cat and a dog. We have someone that loves baking. We have someone that has love songs. We have someone, a few of us that are activists. Uh, off the time, if people want to have each other's email address to communicate with each other, you can work on a presentation that you want to do with a partner. Uh, we also uh, looking at presenting more active living and holistic health demonstrations and discussions. Uh, Again, we know DELSA has done some uh, holistic work. We have a few other people that at other times someone shared us with us chair exercise. We learned about uh, tapping. So we want to continue to have presentations on holistic health things that we can demonstrate uh, and then discuss. Uh, Inviting people to share, oh, this is one that somebody sent me that they'd like for us to do, uh, inviting people to talk about how they save, share, or stretch their resources, or even um, make money. So we had uh, Ruth Christ, who is an author, who in her advancing age is excitedly interviewing and producing publishing she's making work because she's helping people to get published so any of you both in if it's not something that you do but something that you know someone who does then you can let me know and we could target a date to have one or more people talk about how they um stretch stave or make money and then another one was um Looking at some of the awards, there are a lot of poetry awards. Some of the poetry awards you hear about or that you get an email for, some of them are, are fake. They just want to get people's money and they then they tell you you have to pay a, buy a $58 book in order to get a copy. But um, we did get and belong to an association that sends out um, reliable, legitimate sources. Uh, Neil mentioned that and I get a copy of Uh, Writers Weekly, Writers Weekly has a long time history of dealing fairly with authors, giving authors, uh, sometimes they have book reviews, sometimes they talk about uh, scams, and then they have periodically a contest where people have 24 hours to write a short story around a topic. So uh, as others of you uh, reveal or identify sources that are looking for uh, publications, sources that pay for publications, that's something that we could have a presentation. And so, you know, podcast is just an independent radio program. We are like the radio program for 411 and there can be segments. So someone might always say, I've got, like Nancy knows about pets. She knows a lot about dogs. And she discovers that she was writing a poem. There might be uh, a pet news. There might be something uh, so uh, and some others of us are having experiences with people that are in nursing homes and things to make people be aware of as caregivers, the value of your voice and the power of your voice. So we really, each of you is uh, a roving reporter on the lookout for things that would be good topics that you could bring or that you could suggest someone to bring uh, because of DELSA, but we made this call out, she knew Peter and I said, I know a great writer and somebody who's got lots of books and who likes talking with people. And so now he is here. That brings me to um, introducing him. He is a retired teacher who remains active as an acclaimed storyteller and poet. Uh, Schools, libraries, and universities across Canada and the Caribbean have welcomed him to read his work. He's an avid supporter of human rights and social justice, and he relates his empathy and passion for human values and social issues through his work. So he has a Bachelor of Education and a Master of Arts from the University of Toronto. I worked there once, (laughs) and he is, uh, along after his readings, he will be uh, inviting us to share in activities that might include writing. So, uh, We'll give each of you, people that come on at the beginning, they get a chance to give their 30 seconds of fame introduction. And then the next voice after that, you will hear will be Peter.
1: So, uh, Delsa? I am Delsa. I, am, uh, I work in hospitals. I am a yoga teacher. I meditate. I also read uh, books on philosophy and psychology, aside the reading to uh, poetries and uh, short stories. That's wonderful.
0: Uh, Nancy?
2: I'm Nancy Sinclair, and I'm a podcast mentor with Powered by Age. I dabble in photography. I love the great outdoors. I'm a pet sitter and a dog walker and a caregiver
0: and, and a writer, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> And she's not afraid of bears. She has an energy that when a bear passes, she takes a knee, the dogs come to her, they don't bark at the bear, and the bear says, hmm, that's interesting, and
3: keeps on going. Uh, Leslie? Yes, I'm Leslie Hebert. I'm, uh, I teach English as a second language online, and I'm also a writer. I write short stories and poetry, and I'm currently working on a travel memoir, Wonderful. Profula?
2: Hi, um, I'm Profula Bias and um, I am also a retired special education teacher and I've been retired for a few years now. And I dabble in a little bit of photography and I, uh, I love writing fiction and I'm working on a novel, a murder mystery novel right now, which is going through the second draft. I'm hoping to find people who will read it and give me some feedback on it. And I also write little poems which don't really write. So, (laughs) but I just like to do it when it just comes from the heart. So I I just like to do a little bit of that.
0: Yes. non rhyming poems are all in demand right now. (laughs) Okay. That brings us to our featured
1: guest today, Peter.
2: Who is muted?
1: We can't hear you again, Peter. Oh, just unmute. Unmute, Peter.
0: There, there we go. Sorry. There
4: you go. <laughs> yeah. It gives me a great honor to read to my colleagues and fellow poets across Canada, from Vancouver right on to Toronto and um, Florida Field. Um, I'll read a variety of poems I don't have a theme really I'll read one for us and sometimes I, I reread poems Gratitude Thank you for my limbs that move my arms that propel me along my throbbing, beating heart my speech My mind as clear as a bell. Thank you for my eyes that see clearly. The little bird high up in the oak tree, I enjoy its sweet melody. Thank you for good friends and family for receiving and returning a smile. Thank you for a cup of coffee, an evening glass of wine, Thank you for breaking and sharing bread, for all such blessings. Thank you. The world is really in turmoil, wars, and brutality, and the killing of children and the brutality meted out children and women. September is gone, but this poem is called, When September Comes. It was an ordinary September morning just before the autumn leaves began to fall. I sat horrified, speechless in the privacy of my living room, watching the Twin Towers fall. I watch half-naked, innocent people parachuting in panic, plunging to escape death, only to splatter and sprawl like shot needles. I watch brave, dedicated people selflessly swarm into danger, defying death, then taking down one by one, falling in the line of duty. This circumcision at our gate this bleeding initiation into terror completed a crucifixion, painful double spare trust in our side. After witnessing wit- wit- wicked deeds of wicked men, I walked, escaped my living room for the green open park. I watched chipmunks and squirrels jump and fall so playfully up and about the maple trees, clouds of white seagulls sailing silently, circling in our open danger, dangerous sky. My faith restored, I left the park inhabited by God's harmless creatures, returned to the privacy of my living room to reflect and compose myself. And when September comes again, just before the autumn leaves, begin to fall, I will remember. I of East Indian origin. I have dark skin. I'm from the Caribbean. And I do, and this sounds very strange, but I do empathize with people with dark skin living in an all-white society in America or England, Australia, and even Canada sometimes. I've struggled all my life and it doesn't have to de- do only with white people. It has to do with East Indian people from India, from the same my own Caribbean people, from those who have higher tone in their skin than I do. And this poem is dedicated, it's written for Kamu Brafit. He's a barbarian poet. He died. It's written some of it is in dialect, Caribbean dialect, but you can understand it. Black Skin. My Santanton teacher read me the story, Scrubbing the Negro. Whenever I see a tub of boiling water, I cringe and I cry. Since ABC days, you see, I hated me. I always wanted to be clear. Clear, clear, white, white, whiter than arty milk, not black like a tar or black like Biagon, black like the S of spades or black like black old shit loadation chamar. I cried, but I tried. Used white ponds, cold cream, menin, talcum, baby powder, stayed in the shade to wait and wonder. And when nobody was looking, I peeped under my arm just to see the progress of my gradual change to whiteness. When all my efforts failed, I moved to cold white Canada. But when I returned home for a visit, they would say, so you come back, eh? Look at you. You mean to tell we you live outside so long, and you might even catch a little color,
0: Peter. Oh, I wanted to stop you for a, a couple of minutes just to get a bit. We do what's called riff, uh, reflective, interesting, informative, friendly feedback. Yes. But uh, <laughs> the first three were so uh, oh, they they had such great metaphors. The metaphor of uh, circumcision that it was such an unusual thing to hear in that poem about the you know 9-11 uh it any other people have any particular thoughts or feelings about the metaphors in that piece kafula i was just
2: um i was looking at the last one that he was talking about the darkness mm-hmm. And I thought that would be some sort of a metaphor, you know, that, uh, that could be used as a kind of a metaphor, right? What was it uh, in the last poem that you read? That uh, Was it as dark as something, you said? As dark as something or as
4: black as something? As oh, black, yes. As black as bagon, it's eggplant.
2: plant. As black, yes, yes, yes. As black as, yeah, yes. So I was thinking that the use of the color black was some kind of a metaphor or was it was it uh, to explain the depths of depression or uh, or you know i mean something in, on that side like what was the the reason for using
4: that uh, blackness <clears throat> well it has to do with um the pigmentation of people yes That's- that when you look at some people the first thing some people see is your pigmentation your the whole color of your skin and your face and your your lines on your face and the body and they kind of draw um attention to that and they don't see the person they just see the color right yes. and it's a personal poem because i've been I've lived through my whole life with this sensitivity of color, right? And mm-hmm. this is in the Caribbean, this is not in Canada. But um, uh, in colonialism, when the, the planters came to Guyana and Trinidad Jamaica and to get the slaves and the indentured people from England, from, from India and from Portugal and from China to work on each sugar plantations, right? We had some masters who were... British planters, British overseers, and they, um, they were superior, they treated us in a very superior way. And even among us, Indians and Portuguese and Chinese, we, and, and Blacks and Africans, we kind of look at each other's pigmentation and there is a status there. Those who were um, white and close to the white person was given jobs in the banks and in insurance companies and they were treated differently but it's very subtle to understand that you have to live it you see and um yeah you have to live it to experience it right this inferiority of your color so yes my po- yeah my poem black skin um, yes. has to do with that you know Even very about-
2: true Even very about- true though very true very true. It's like automatically assume that if you are a fair color, you are like, you know, in those days especially, that you are automatically considered superior. And if you are in a dark, darker color, then you are like automatically assumed as inferior.
4: Right? So that's, it's something that was ingrained, isn't it? And translate that to North America. You have African-Americans and African-Canadians and all that, right? Um, we don't know what people go through. To, you have to have a lot of confidence in yourself and be strong about who you are as a person because people have in their heads these stories about you and this conception you know, that you are inferior because you have black skin. You know what I mean? And um, it's very, very, and even in India, you know, some of the brides, when their fair skin look uh, nearer to white, they are appreciated. And that's uh, the whole concept of what is beauty. What is beauty? How do we measure a beautiful person? Is it only by the texture of their skin and the shape of their nose and their, their, their face? Or we measured them by their, the strength of their character? And it's a long road we have to travel for that. And it's a personal kind of thing that I have experienced growing up in the Caribbean, growing up with teachers. tone teacher means a teacher who is mixed, who has lighter skin, you know. And we tend to feel that the closer you are to the white man, and I'm talking about Caribbean culture, the closer you are to the white man with your color, or to the Brahmin with your color, right, you're superior. That's the yardstick that we use to measure accepting uh, acceptance of the other.
0: That's not only can... in, in the Caribbean, but in the United States. I'm African-American, Canadian, and I've experienced. Uh, my aunt, in many families, you have people who are very fair to people who are darker. And my aunt worked for the Social Security Administration uh, and when she retired, they gave us this picture, and the thing that was memorable about the picture was the whole uh, the whole workforce, <laughs> they had them in, standing in front of their desk, and you could visibly see that they had the people seated according to their color. So white people were on the top, around the middle, my aunt was the only lightest person at the middle, and then it went down to the darkest person on the mm-hmm. last row. And mm-hmm. that's what people say when they mean systemic racism, that this mm-hmm. is a federal agency, it's a place that covers the taxes. Mm-hmm. And that was mm-hmm. uh, set like that. And mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, it spilled over to now, It people, uh, there was a show, New Amsterdam last night had a case of a girl. She was a runner, a black track star running, and she got sick. And when they brought her to the hospital, they were thinking that she had cancer. But when they cut her stomach, it was full of of, of lightness And so when Ooh. they talked about her story, it brought out something that we some youth that I've interviewed in Canada have said that they've experienced of people saying things were making a difference to them about their color. So she was trying, she was adopted by a white family, and she was trying to make her color closer to Theirs, because people Mm. were always pointing out and saying, "Oh, that's your mom," or Mm -hmm. uh, just that exception. So I think the poem—it's good to bring forth because there still needs to be conversation about this carryover from colonialism, slavery. Mm -hmm. To people Mm -hmm. don't realize how entrenched it got. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. still is within some parts of of society, or some things that people attempt to do.
4: It's not economic power only, class. It also has to do with perception of the color of one's skin Mm -hmm. and uh, the, the whole definition of what is beauty and the role of the media in portraying beauty in advertisement for the people we put up there on the screen, on the television, to model what is beauty and what is right. And, you know, it's, it's part and parts of our whole culture. Is, it's hard for us to deconstruct that. <laughs> Except I, I have a lot, and this is not race only, I have a lot of white friends who I depend on them in schools and the workplace to deal with this color, this question of pigmentation. Because they don't, they, they are white, but they don't use that. As a, as a tool for, the, for promotion or to present themselves in such a way of superiority because of their color. I'm sorry, it sounds very simplistic, but it's a personal experience. <laughs> okay,
0: so we'll go on and see what other things you have in your readings for us. Okay.
4: <laughs> okay, this one is about my grandfather. He was an old man when I was a child, and we call him Aja. It means grandfather, my paternal grandfather. My Aja, handsome, strong, and proud, was an estate monkey in Kratinkuli, banging juice for the white sahib from sunrise to sunset. The hot morning sun glittered on his aluminum saucepan, filled with cold dal, rice, and bhaji, which he sannied with his hard cane-feel fingers, pinching a red-hot tear mirage pepper, as hot as the morning sun. Aya just staggered home at sunset. His sharp lish wrapped tightly around his black corn bag, slung over his tired back. Handsome, strong, and proud, he would return the next day to cut more cane for the whites Sahib and for the empire, on which the sun never set. It's mixed up with a little bit of Caribbean dialect and language that is not only um, standard English. So, And the one Parallel to that is my Aji's hands. My Aja is my paternal grandfather. And Aji is my paternal grandmother. Mm. And it's it's written also in in, in a little bit of dialect, Caribbean dialect. My Aji's hands. As an old woman, I look at her hands. I can still see her thumbs dancing as they work. Our fingers rotating in precise coordination. Those loving fingers bathed in coconut oil, helping each other, moving like a team of dedicated doctors to fix the infant's asleep. My Aji's hands twisting the cornbag strainer to squeeze out the coconut milk, leaving the couscous dry, then extracting the last drop of coconut oil, making the chanchi drier than proper bone. My Aji's fingernails harder than alligator scale, sporting a permanent yellow from the cupex of the dossier weed. Those cormy hands massage the rice fields stubbornly, gently stroking Mother Earth, opening her up for the beer root, she transplanting them, giving life anew, waiting for the autumn sun to yield a bumper crop. Myaji flexing her biceps to make the grass knife sing grabbing and cutting handfuls of solid 79, cleaner than the light, the red combine. Maya G's hands were sewing hands, scattering the hand to feed the nation, and to fattened chicken with her chichi call. Maya Ji's hands were caressing hands, cuddling and pressing the pink nipples of the buoyed cow, making milking music, chun chai, chun chai, in her black saucepan, sweeter than the calypso man. My Aji's hands had barakat Her caps and cup, never empty, always glittering with shillings. Those hands washed the million cups, clap routine enough to feed the world's army. My Aji's hands were small hands, small hands like hers build big nations. That's
1: beautiful. It sounds like such a loving woman.
4: <laughs> Yes, yes.
1: I I could see a movie
0: about her, you know, so much detail about her hands and her nails and gives you a sense of the tools and equipment she was working with.
4: Yes, yes. So we don't really put value on the work of old people with their hands. Work in the kitchen, work in the washroom, work in the fields. The whole power of labor of the woman, that all and I'm not trying to use up and take the, the, the speak for women, but the hard work of women in the kitchen, in the washroom, in the house, rearing children, binding children, and in the fields from where I come, in the cane fields, in the rice fields. And, you know, their work is not as rewarded as it should be.
0: How old were you when you wrote that poem?
4: Which one? Baji. about oh, your grandmother. Oh, that was written a long time ago. And um, it's a, as a young adult, a teenager, 1920.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Right? I looked her working and I look at her hands and I was motivated to write that, you know, a small, petite, tiny woman whose ancestors came from India. And um, I look at my Aja male, boys are sexist and um, you know don't like girl children as you call them, that they, they, they bring their names up to change and they bring disgrace to the family. And it was a culture where only boys were, were prized and uh, respected and wanted. And then I look at my Aji and see what she's doing. And throughout my whole life I look at the struggle. I've grow, grown up in a very sexist society. And um, I knew there was something wrong with it, you know, of the way women's work and women's, women were not. And even today, I look at what's going on in Afghanistan and the treatment of girls in education and women, and I cringe. And these people, they're not persons, they're not valued, you know. And this whole idea of not valuing women and children, right, We have a long way as a society to go. And, you know, I'm very pleased that in Canada where we live, we're trying very hard to uh, correct some of that, you know. And um, as an ESL teacher, you find that uh, I'm teaching ESL, you know, and this boy who came from another country, yeah, he said, you know what? Men are superior to women. I said, where do you get that from? He said, because they are, they have the seed. They plant. He heard this from home, but men plant the seed in the woman, so they are superior. I said, no, 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 You don't you don't have that here, you don't keep that knowledge and, and, and that practice here in Canada. That some young lady when you go to high school is gonna bash your head in for that. You don't talk like that. You've got to correct people that they don't do that. But the society is still sexist, you know and um it, all over and we have to deal with that sexism that su- male superiority so leslie, I, I use i use poetry to to, to 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 highlight some of that
0: leslie teaches uh, esl have you run into any students or occasions where there's that difference in gender value
3: uh, well, it's interesting. I actually, um, when I was teaching in a school in person, um, I used to have Saudi students. And um, at one point we did a class on um, what you ex. you know, if you're looking for a partner, you know, if you're looking for a life partner, what do you, you know, what do you look for in a, you know, a potential girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife. And the Saudis, it was all about appearance, you know. They wanted the woman to be beautiful, to be pretty, whereas the other students would also talk about character traits, which I I thought was very revealing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, we actually had very few female Saudi students. Um, One of them (laughs) was quite a character because um, they had to come. They had to be accompanied by a male guardian in order to study overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, one woman came with her husband and she was like covered from head to toe um the other young lady came with her brother who was actually a few years younger than her and she was quite a rebel so yes she did have her hair covered but the way she tied her scarf was like she tied around and tie a bow on the side and mm-hmm. and she basically did what she wanted <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so it, it was interesting you know yeah. Yeah. Peter, do you find when you're
0: talking to children or people in school, uh, is this a, a conversation that it's easy to, to, to have?
4: <clears throat> well, not that easy because uh, many children from different cultures, who, newcomers that I teach, they come with, they're, they're, they're primed in their homes, they're taught in their homes. Um, their religion, their culture, and they watch how their mothers are treated or the sisters are treated, and they bring that into the classroom, too. For example, when it's cleaning up time in the classroom, only the girls hustle and and, and do the sweeping and cleaning the classroom. And then I'll stop them and say, no, 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 no. no. We can't do this here, you know. So, you know, as a teacher, you only don't teach them... um, language and science and math, we also teach them values and skill and, um, and the whole idea of equality and work in the, 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 the classroom and the home. And we have to teach them that, you know, that to fit them into Canadian society, because that's part of our job as teachers too, to live into Canadian society. We have to be honest, and tell them what they are expected to do. Because we teach for citizenship too, and to become good Canadian citizens. And in our culture, our Canadian culture, we have this whole idea of treating the other, care, kindness, and all those aspects of what it means to be a good Canadian. So it's the whole, that's why teaching is so important in our culture. Because we receive them at the threshold of the classroom all the time, you know? And we have to initiate them in being a good citizen here. And yes, challenge some of the values that they have that is not human or is not Canadian, if you like.
0: (laughs) Uh, You have people sometimes use drama and choral is writing,
4: How do, what is, What's some examples of that? Um, choral, yes. Choral is, is very, very important. And uh, uh, putting uh, poems on the board and chanting them and clapping them and, and moving to them and all that, right? And um, drama is so powerful. And we have less of that now in the school because of the Zoom learning and the computer learning. And um, children don't move about. They don't articulate. They all have you they, they have to fill in the blanks all the time. It's not the arts are the different parts of the arts are not really addressed in the school today. I'm sorry to say that, but that's my experience doing supply teaching now since I retired. That the arts are neglected, and children are not. You know, we, we are such in a rush to do things, hurry, you know. This computer really hurry us on, hurry us along to do things quickly and, and to not use our brains to, to, because you, you quickly want to find the answer on the screen. And you don't, you don't have, a, have time to relax, retire, leisurely find out what this means and think for yourself, right? It's all the thinking is done for you all the time. So the arts, the building of character and building of the person that you're talking about, the drama and the music, comes from that, and literature. And um, to hurry children through school is not the right thing that we are doing in some quarters of the place, not in the whole country.:
0: Yeah. For sure. What do you think in terms of Have you used uh, drama or other types of activities to get help help children with their language arts as well as their values? Yes,
2: um, I did teach uh, drama too, which was again ESL was my second language, and drama too was my uh, uh, second third subject, and um, I used drama to create like. Bring confidence into children and, you know, uh, speech to improve their speech as well. And, you know, to create trust as well. So we did a lot of drama activities to help kids in in that sense. And for ESL students and even for special ed students, drama was much better much uh-huh. better to use than opening books and reading books. But with the Zoom meetings and all, I just can't imagine how teachers can, how can they really teach drama because you have a script and then uh-huh. you have kids that have to be physically in the same room, right, to be able to do some of those activities. Uh-huh. So I think on Zoom, it would be very difficult, you know, uh-huh. and it's a, it's one place where the kids come into the drama room and they, throw their school bags and, they, you know, they dance around and it's like free, free atmosphere. There are no chairs. There's nothing structured in it. So you can play and run around, be free and do all that thing, you know. So I used it for ESL students just to develop the skills, speaking. But more for drama was more fun to build your confidence, to have trust in, you know, others. And then a little script to help you along. So it was, I found it
0: a very, very useful subject to teach. So one of the things that we have been doing is identifying areas where we as older people can advocate for things. And this uh, loss of art in the schools are minimizing the amount of time. some people have gone to schools and said that, you know, they were, are objecting to removal of recess and removal of physical education mm-hmm. um, and putting in time for kids to write. Uh, I think uh, some schools in the States have, have worked in meditation. My grandson told me meditation was an option this year for one of the electives. But, Delta, do you know if anything like that is happening with the schools in Canada where meditation is included? oh you have to unmute
1: yeah sorry yeah yeah sorry i remember when i was at the buddhist temple um the the head monk there used to go to school and they will be there maybe 10 20 minutes but the thing with with meditation is very much attached to buddhism and you know in a school system when children have different religions you cannot do that because the monk was saying there are a few complaints from from family who have other religions other than Buddhism. We have Muslim there and Catholic and you name it, right? So it didn't, it didn't go through. They're so, so very careful when a Buddhist monk in the whole ensemble of a saturn robe will go into the school and the children will look at him, who are you? <laughs> right? Yeah, so it, it didn't. I think meditation can be done by, um, but, but by another teacher like Peter or Prafula. Just say, okay, we have a meditation class and I can lead this. Because anybody can lead this. It doesn't have to be a, a, a Buddhist monk. But the thing is, it will take to a lot of channels, I think, to the Ministry of Education to get meditation be a part of the curriculum, right? And I was just thinking, when my son used to go to grade school, they had cooking class. I said, Jonathan, you're learning how to cook? Yes. <laughs> and then Peter, Peter knows this. And he came home with the bear that you're trying to assemble. And he didn't know how to do that. So I assembled it for him, which I didn't know either. Right. So they're very careful with the kinds of um, uh, stuff that we have to teach children out there. Am I right, Peter?
0: Oh, it has
1: yeah, to go to yeah, a lot of channels, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, And that's, again, where
0: there's an opportunity area because schools are asking for volunteers. And when you volunteer, I I've, I've went 40 days, 40 different days, weekly for, for 40 weeks. Yes, I went to yes. a school to do, to do uh, poetry and I integrated into envisioning, having the children put their hands over their hearts and vision. Now, If I had said, you know, I was doing it from a spiritual perspective, they would have said, oh, we have to have separation of church and state. The teacher went out of the room. She was so happy to have a volunteer in. I could virtually do whatever I wanted with the kids. It was amazing that when I would have them put their hands over their heart and just vision for five minutes, they wrote poems 15 minutes they had a whole complete poem where when it was in just strict language arts and worrying about the syllables and so forth they weren't getting it done we had in that 40 weeks the kids wrote more than a hundred poems so I think we by our presence of being able to go into schools and being welcome as volunteers that's another way that values and activities these other types of practices kids can learn that aren't you know, that have been pushed out of the system. Meditation and visioning are very powerful. And so we are like secret agents. <laughs> we can go in and we can incorporate that with our, our teaching.
3: I think it's interesting. A lot of things can be presented. If you think about meditation, it may not be presented as meditation. I was thinking back when I was in high school, we had a drama class. And part of that drama class would be to lay on the ground and to let all our muscles relax one at a time. Well, looking back, that's meditation. That's what you do at the end of a yoga class, right? But it wasn't presented as that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. They can call it a calming exercise, right? Mm -hmm. Or mindfulness. Because there's a big stigma attached to meditation. When you say we're doing meditation, they always think, "Okay, you sit in a lotus position, very quiet." And kids couldn't do that. Kids are restless. You can, you can, you cannot. Children wouldn't even sit still for five minutes, let alone let's do ten or fifteen minutes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember too, like, uh, remember um, Jimmy um, Jimmy Burns? He used to yes. be uh, a Toronto mm-hmm. policeman. He and his wife are uh, cross-Catholic, they would go to a grade school here, a uh, Catholic school, and they would teach children how to pray the rosary. Oh, there's a big, big uh, commotion about teaching the children how to pray rosary because the children say, no, 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 what, that, what is that? You don't, we don't pray with that. <laughs> so the children who are non-Catholic will get out of the room so they can teach the other children who are Catholic to pray the rosary, so it's. I think they had. They, they go through a of channel before you could introduce anything. But uh, like Leslie was saying, you know, our children needs to be calm, just laying on the ground and say, you know, this is nothing other than we are trying to be calm in our recess or or during break time, right? Yeah, yeah. it's very important, especially in this age. I think our children are so stressed out. The the, the the mental uh, issue even among teenagers and uh, are skyrocketing because they are just so stressed beyond belief they need to to, to, to to stop and pause and and become just for a little bit It's a stressful world you're living
4: so stressful yeah anyway I, I want to finish off now I want to okay. finish, I want to do the last poem and this one here is a poem for children and um, what I do sometimes In in the classroom, I write my own poetry for the children, and I wrote one here. It's for children, but it's also for adults, and it's called Stop, Stop, Don't Be a Bully, and I'll end with this one. And it's dedicated to Alan Kurdi, a three-year-old Syrian child refugee who was washed ashore in Turkey, mm-hmm. this army, this pulling, this army, this soldier, pick up this child. Remember that picture and brought this child ashore. Mm-hmm. And the poem is dedicated to this child. Stop the war! Think about the little boy wearing blue and red, looking for a place to lay his head. Stop! It doesn't matter his color, creed, or nationality. He belongs to the human family stop think about this journey a refugee searching for a country a castaway at sea looking for a peaceful place to be the book is dedicated to that child stop mm. stop don't call me Eskimo I'm First nations living far in the deep white snow stop Stop, don't call me black. I can't turn back. Stop, stop, don't call me white. That's not right. Stop, stop, don't call me brown. I've always been around. Stop, stop. I may be just off the plane, but I do have a name. Stop, stop, don't call me gay. I hear what you say. Stop, stop. Don't call me fat. I don't like that. Stop, stop. Don't call me a dummy. That's not funny. What if someone were to say mean things to you today? Stop, stop. Don't make fun of what I wear. It's not nice to point and stare. Stop, stop. Don't call me poor. Sometimes less is more. Stop, stop. Don't make fun of my walk or the way I talk. I'm capable, just differently, able. Stop, stop, don't bully me. I have feelings too, just like you. First nations, black, brown, white, chubby or gay. We are all right in our own way. And this book I wrote for little children, but adults like it too. Oh, yes. <laughs> Show. Tell us the name, but uh, so that people who are
0: listening would be able to write down the title.
4: Oh, stop! Stop! Don't be a
1: bully. Okay. Hold it up a little bit. Hold it up a little bit, Peter, so we can see. Hold up a little bit. Yeah. Okay.
4: Oh, really nice. Okay. Very nice. And how would people get it? Well, they can order it in Amazon, they can order it in a books any bookstore in, in Canada or wherever, you know. And
0: then spell your name so people who are looking oh. you up on Amazon.ca <laughs> or All wherever. Right.
4: First name Peter, last name J-Law, like you lock everybody up, J-A-I-L-A-L-L. Yeah. And a little plug is, this is a Canadian book.
0: All right. <laughs>
4: So this yes. is what it means to be a Canadian, to accept others in spite of their limitations.
1: It's great because I think this country is going to be very colorful in the next few years. A lot of different culture here. Mm-hmm. A lot of differences here. So this is,
4: yeah. Do
0: you ever have uh, children read it?
4: Oh, yes, yes, yes. When I go, when I go, I give it to the, oh, it's in the schools here. I go, I take it to the classroom. And I give the teacher a copy and then the children read it, then the teacher use it to teach and mount the picture up on the board so you can help children to understand that they have to accept each other. And yeah. even simple thing, this one of stop, stop, don't call me fat. You know, mm. we talk only about color all the time, but
1: I like I, I like that part, uh, don't stare the way I walk because I'm capable.
4: That's, right. That's but, right. But did you
1: write that for all people who are unable to walk because for, they're old?
4: yeah for anybody, or, not only children. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah.
4: I read this book to adults and they like it, uh, not children only. I can <laughs> it's,
0: it's, <laughs> it's very fitting. It's very, you know, it covers everybody. And it gives a nice way to give someone, you know, to have people read it or think
4: about it, you know. Nobody's left out. It's doing well too because. At Christmas, time, a lot of people want <coughs> like to give children for gifts, you know.
0: Yeah, that would be good. You know, they have a day that's an anti-bullying day. That would be a good day for all the schools. All the schools should have a copy of this book <laughs> uh, the library.
4: <laughs> well, thank you, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it makes me think of the song, What the World Needs Now is Love more love because the book in the end when you don't do all those things that's the definition of of sharing and spreading love
4: yeah and again charlotte i can't say what a service you're doing there to our country and to people around using the media uh to talk about poetry and um associated living and caring for others for the other and um it's good keep keep going keep doing it and i will I'll be part of this group as much as I can. I do other things.
0: You're welcome as much as you can be here. (laughs) That's wonderful. Because we're looking at other ways of just stepping from um, poetry to recording poetry. People, not only poetry, but uh, people's writings, how valuable it is. Mm -hmm. This workshop that I've been in all day was saying, Each person has experiences that are valuable. There's somebody else that's had an experience and been stuck. And you're writing about your experience, whether you're doing it as a story, as a poem, Mm. as a song. It helps Mm. someone who's at that point to say, oh, it's not just me. Or, oh, look at how that person overcame that. Look at how that person named Leslie (laughs) discovered the value that people have a practice of conserving water by having everybody take a bath and rinse in that same tub after they've thoroughly cleaned themselves, <laughs> but it's an experience, you know. where people are talking about climate change, she oh, having yeah. that story in her mm-hmm. memoir makes it more real to people that mm-hmm. look at this at the extent that people are mm-hmm. actually going to conserve mm-hmm. water.
4: I would I would like to put a little plug here. I um I'm a member of the Writers Union of Canada, and also the Poetry Club of Canada. The what do you call it the um, Canadian poetry people. And they do send me around the country to read poetry in Charlotte. Wow. And, um, yes, I will not mind coming to team with you in, in Vancouver one day. And they, they kind of pay the expenses. The Writers' Union of
3: Canada.
0: And then because we do have uh, within our group, it's about 44 different people that have it- sometime or the other, have participated in the program. A lot of them are writers. How, how does one join or find
4: information on joining the Writers' Union of Canada? Well, the right you have to, first of all, you have to publish uh, a book or two, right? And You have to send a book to them and they look at it and then they kind of assess it. And then, you know, they think it's worthwhile and that, that they have their readers uh, check it out You. You become a member they accept you as a member right but you have to have some kind of a writing history and um you have to do i mean write books and um and we you have to pay a membership fee of course right so you can be a member anybody can be a member once you you, you show them your books you apply and they look at them and they they, they assess the books so keep that in mind charlotte if um you want me to come and you, to join a reading uh, a session in, in Vancouver? We'll come. Okay, that would be. It's so, just sharing and moving around in the country to do the good work you're doing. Think about that too.
0: Yes, we're going to have to have a train. We have have more and more people from Ontario that are joining us. Have bring a train up here <laughs> and book yeah. uh, the uh, the library or uh, the museum and have a reading session because it's really wonderful having this interchange of ideas and. <laughs> Each of you as, a, as an ambassador, we call this uh, Power PBA Ambassadors, Powered by Age Ambassadors. And that's just people who tell other people, other people you know who write, other people you know who have things that they like to do. Whatever you like, love to do, you can do it. We've had a chef demonstrate healthy lunches. Yeah. Uh, so we definitely would like each of you to continue to invite someone else to join us on Powered by Age, age Friendly Cities, and... Uh, we will be next week continuing on with looking at how to put your best voice forward, because we are going to be creating audiobooks. So Peter, while there are some people that have, that have published two books, but from this group, we are moving from, uh, people having done creative writing class and done poetry to putting them together in a book. Some have got uh, some of their material on our website, but we are definitely working toward nurturing and encouraging and helping people to get their material published or recorded. Yes. And then the next step is the movie because we have software where you can make <laughs> a three-minute movie. So that's part of all of what's in the works and in the unfolding of Powered by Age as we go from our 75th to our 100th. Episode. Yeah.
1: We we haven't heard from Neil.
0: Is Neil okay? Uh, t- he said that there's something that he might be doing today. So. Oh. Yeah, he does a, a lot of walks and is involved in a couple of groups. So I imagine that's why he isn't here. All right. Okay. Well, thank you all. I'll look forward to seeing you again next week. And remember to bring a poem. A short poem as something to practice with when we do the Put Your Best Voice Forward activity yeah. next week. I, I have
1: What's one. Right? Do we have two minutes? I have yeah.
0: one. Oh, no, it's this is to bring it for next week oh, so next, that you'll be to read next, it in the the activity. Oh, the
1: have time. All right. I okay. will. I will. Right.
0: <laughs> so... Goodbye and thank you. I won't sing a song. I'll miss you, but thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you
1: so much, Charlotte. Thank you, Charlotte. Thanks, Charlotte. Bye, everybody. Take care. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye.